Welcome to the Hobby of a Lifestyle podcast, a show that looks at how our passions impact lives and drive career choices. I'm Andy Gray, a former national and world champion kickboxer. During my shows, I'll be talking with athletes, coaches, fans and more as I delve into their world to find out what inspired them on their journey. Welcome to Hobby of a Lifestyle. This week, I am joined by the very talented Nikki McSweeney. She's a physio to both human and animals, I'm one of Great Britain's bobsleigh pilots. Let's find out the whole story. Welcome to Hobby of a Lifestyle, Nikki. How are you this evening? Very well, thank you. How are you? I'm very good. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Nikki, do you just want to tell listeners exactly what your hobby, profession, passion, what is it you do? So I'm a Great Britain bobsledder. I'm currently number two pilot. Um, given last season um, and on the side track I'm also a physiotherapist for humans and animals. Wow amazing any particular animals or is it all animals? Uh, we can do all animals but I primarily focus on horses. Wow. So a little bit of a niche I suppose it's I focus on the horse and rider performance and rehabilitation. Well it's funny you mentioned that I've actually just started working for riding for the disabled association. Really? Yeah, about three months ago. Fantastic. So that's another conversation after the podcast. Yeah. (laughs) That's amazing. Um, Anyway, getting back to it. So you are literally a jack of all trades and clearly a master of them all. That's that's how we're going to go on this one. To say that, but I'll take it. Well, you know, to be a qualified physio for both humans and for animals and also be a GB bobsledder is unbelievable so let's go all the way back to the beginning then Nikki where did you grow up I grew up um in Buckinghamshire so okay. around Buckingham uh yeah I lived there for about eight years before I moved over about seven miles away to North Marston where I'm based at the moment which I suppose for most people Milton Keynes is probably our nearest big city that oh, very good I've got friends in Newton Pagnell yeah. is that right Newton Pagnell hey. Newport Pagnell. Newport yeah. Pagnell, that's the one. You, you know, they'll tell me off for of saying Newport Pagnell. I'm in Newport Pagnell. Um, you know, so you've, you've obviously grew up around the snow and obviously been sledging, clearly not. You know, let's go back. You know, so as, as a child, you know, what were you into as a child? Because Bob Stain is so far, we were just talking about this prior. Bob Stain is kind of so far away from anyone in Britain, I suppose, when you think, you know, as a kid, anything about sports and hobbies. So as a child, what were you into? Oh, so when I grew up, uh, my mum used to horse ride, funny enough. So from the age of about two, I was put in the saddle. So right. I think my first love, and I suppose still is my love, hence my work, um, is horses. So I used to horse, I've horse, um, been a rider for many years now. Wow. Um, so I suppose my sporting career started with horses. But as a young kid, I was always quite fast in my class, loved right. sports days, um, absolutely loved races. Anything competitive, um, I was up for. Um, so through primary school, it was all athletics, yeah, yeah. rounders, everything you kind of get into. And I suppose from secondary school, my love for athletics then started to develop. My PE teacher, Miss Williams, at the time, and I probably got her to thank for to actually get in as far as I have done because she pushed us and pushed us to join an athletics club. So I joined Milton Keynes Athletics. And I 
then competed um, in various disciplines and then started to specialise in heptathlon. Okay. And um, got to national level, um, wow. which was pretty good. Um, That's amazing. You know, you always aspire to be a little bit better, get yeah, that yeah. GB, get that thing. So like you say, taking things for granted, I look back now and I think actually that's probably pretty good national yeah, level heptathlon. Amazing, considering yeah. how many athletes there are trying yeah. to do it. Oh, it's phenomenal. Uh, and it, as you say, it probably it's one of those things that youth is kind of wasted on the young. It's not until you get older, is it? And you reflect on things that you've done in your life and you think, wow, okay. it's pretty impressive achievement. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, we got to there. But in the meantime, I was playing hockey at county level. I did a couple of premiership rugby matches. Um, wow. So I was kind of dibbling in different sports. Um, and it wasn't until I was at university doing my undergraduate degree as a physio that I was training at the local athletics track and you're there you see the usual people and you say hello how are you just get to know everyone that's there and a couple of months down the line a couple of guys came up to me and asked have you ever thought about doing bobsleigh before and I was taken back a little bit and I thought and I kind of looked across to my coach thinking we have a bobsleigh team and these guys have me on here Um, but they showed pictures and videos and said actually no this is you know we go down to Bath University this is where we train and um why don't you come and give it a go and at the time my heptathlon it was plateauing a little bit so I was getting a little bit frustrated I thought well why not I'll give it a go and yeah made a couple of sessions and I trialed out and um did fairly well so they took me out to Austria yeah, eagles the track there and um my love for bobsleigh started there and here i am many many uh, I mean, <laughs> you know we kind of we need to go back we need to get we need to go back before the bobsleigh first because you've mentioned so many mm. sports and you're clearly one of those people that i you know i've got a couple of friends here like that as well those annoying people at school who are just good at everything they do you know Everything you've mentioned there, you just did it at a high level. Yeah, heptathlon, national, yeah, rugby, a couple of premiership games, hockey, county level. I mean, is sport just genuinely one of those things that just comes naturally to you? I think so. And I think because I'm I'm quite tall, I'm physically strong um, and quite fast, it helps to apply those things into different, like rugby, you're fast and strong. Hockey, you're fast down the wing. Yeah, it's um, it, yeah. I think I can one of those. Yeah, yeah. People. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I say that just, I just say that out of envy, by the way, not because you're really annoying. It's just because I wasn't that good at, at lots of different sports. Um, what were your parents kind of seeing then? You know, as you obviously growing up, you're experimenting with all these different sports. You've kind of zoned in on heptathlon. You've got to a really good level, but then you're playing rugby. You're playing hockey. Was there anybody at any point who said? Nikki, let's really concentrate because you you reflecting back there saying you were maybe at, at national level for this. And this. is do you think that if you'd have maybe zoned in a once particular spot? I mean, you've obviously done that with Bob saying you've still achieved amazing things, but do you think that if you'd have done that from being younger, achieved zoned in on one particular spot that it might have helped propel you to the next level? Oh, potentially. Potent yeah. No, I totally agree. Um, but it is it's I suppose in some ways, I mean, the horse riding that I started with, it's such an expensive sport. 
um, okay. and saying that Bob's is, but um, when you're young, trying to afford lessons, trying to afford a horse, yeah. plus delivery, it's, it's very hard. And I was lucky enough to have my own pony when I was younger. Wow. But I think for me, it was more pleasure. That was my happy time. That yeah, was my love. I'll, I'll go there for my downtime. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was, I suppose, a, quite a good natural rider, but I'm, I, I mean, now I wouldn't say I'm the best rider, but I haven't given my all to it. So yeah, you don't yeah, know what come of it. Exactly. 100%, yeah. Was there anybody um, trying to get you to zone in on one particular spot, even if it was a parent or a coach or a family member who were kind of going, Nikki, you do all these sports. You're amazing at them all. You're at this level. But now let's zone, let's choose one that you're really passionate about and let's really push for that now. Not in particular. I think my mum and dad have always been really supportive of what I want to do. Yeah. Um, they just back me up. Um, well, yeah, come the bobsleigh. It's uh, my dad's always worried that I'm alive at the bottom of the track. But yeah, no, they've As always parent, been supportive yeah. of what I've done. Um, but I wouldn't say anyone in particular has gone, right, let's focus this on this now. And let, uh, until it had come to the bobsleigh where we were, um, you know, you're coming to international level. It's yeah, yeah. why are you doing bobs? Uh, bobsleigh, why are you doing rugby? Why are you doing athletics? You have to then focus in a little bit more there but while I was doing the aesthetics rugby I mean the opportunity came and I think for me it was like oh where can this lead where can that lead I mean I learned from quite a young age that it you know plan a never goes ahead so that young aspiring athlete that I was that watched the Olympics every four years that wanted to be there as the heptathlete um I learned quite quickly that that you know might not always go be the the plan a so for me having plan b to z what, what could what could come of it and bob say might be plan z but here we are might be going focusing on tour, well, tour yeah. Salem. <laughs> and it's a, it's a, it's an amazing actually i'm not asking because i think oh yeah she, you know nikki you'd have been great doing it i'm just wondering as in general i actually attended last night um a webinar around getting more girls and women into into sport and being more active and, and just mm. the, you know just listening to you talk there and trying all these different things is is amazing you know and it's really encouraging and, and it, it's a lot of food for thought talking about Bobsy then the fact that that was the kind of the point where your coach was saying you know you're now at a national level we're going to be doing international racing we're taking you abroad you need to kind of drum down and focus now what was, what was your parents' reaction, by the way, and family members and friends when you said, yeah, I'm going to kind of give the heptathlon a bit of a break and I'm now going to go and do bobsleigh? Um, I think having... Uh, good question. Because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think here in the UK, you hear bobsleigh and we, we talked about it a little bit, you automatically start thinking of films like Cool Runs because that's probably the only thing that we can relate it to, which is kind Absolutely. of in the mainstream because it's not it's not massively publicised through sports channels. It's not always on the television unless it's on, you know, unless it's the Winter Olympics and potentially YouTube if it's yeah. a world champions. But so to, to say Bob say, you know, my head straight away would always go to that film. I know. And probably it's, it's probably the only way to explain what it is um, yeah. to people because yeah. they can relate to um you know back when I started they were a bit like what is bobsleigh you say cool running so they're like oh yeah I know yeah. what it is now so. <laughs> <laughs> going down a hill in the bathtub 
entertaining without having to get your phone out and showing them videos. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, what was the reaction? And just, you know, because that is something totally different, totally out there. And that's what this podcast is about, is just trying to highlight all the different things that people are doing and how people find out about them and then what the sacrifices they make in order to, to kind of forge a career or, or chase that passion. The reactions are just so different. When we hear it, when we listen to different people yeah, talk, the yeah. reaction is just incredible. Now, I know that if I went over to my parents and I, you know, say even if it was now, my mum my would be standing there going, you're nuts. You know, amazing, <laughs> but is it safe? It, will you, like your dad, making sure you're okay when you get mm-hmm. to the top of the track. And that, but the reaction would just be kind of like, is this, is this, is this a joke? Are you trying to just get one over on me here? <laughs> no, yeah, funny. So my, my, I think my friends uh, were like pretty amazed and pretty like, yeah, that's so cool. Like, yeah, go it for is. it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Dad was a little bit, yeah. Uh, are you going to be safe doing this? That's the yeah, yeah. mind. My daughter's still going to be alive at the end of going to this trip. Or, um, yeah, mum has always been supportive. You know, she's she's along the lines of any door that opens, go for it. Yeah, yeah, which is amazing. Which is yeah. amazing. Yeah, and we do. It's lovely to hear about the support of parents because I think you hear a lot of stories about where they've, they've maybe had really hard backgrounds, which is is phenomenal as well. But it's also fantastic to hear these stories, you know, when you've got the really supportive parents that haven't, and you get some parents who are really pushy, and then you get the parents who just kind of let you be free and, and experiment and do what you want to do to find your own journey. And it sounds like you've you've very much got those parents on your side. So that first Bob Steer lesson, can you can you remember it? Because that is for me, it feels like something that would stick in the mind. So I first started out as a brakeman, uh, so I was in the back of the sled, and we actually went, my first run down was at a bob school, so it's where pilots go to learn to drive, Yeah, yeah. and I was put in the back, so we didn't actually go from the top, we went from Darman, yeah. uh, which is a little bit further down, so we're not going from corner, uh, straight from the top, we're going from corner five, um, up at Eagles, but I just remember getting rattled around, big pressures, fast speeds, and going, yeah, that's cool, let's do it again. (laughs) And then thinking, oh, my goodness, I'm the brake person. I need to quickly pull the brakes. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a totally, you know, I got introduced quite lightly. I think some people that come in, go straight from the top, um, get, you know, straight you know straight in for it um all or nothing so I got quite a nice introduction into bobsleigh I love the whole um environment with it as well everyone every athlete were laughing joking getting on with each other helping each other out you know all nations coming in together it's a good environment and you know coming from athletics you don't always get that coming from other sports there's that rivalry you against you Fashion, you know, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's funny because Shan Wayne Stevens said the same thing about the Bob's Day. He said mm-hmm. the community was amazing and it was how many people were there to help. You know, if they needed to borrow something, it didn't matter what country you were from. They were as long as they had that spare equipment or they were able to, they were going to pass on equipment. They were going to whatever it was. It, he said the community was absolutely amazing within Bob's Day. Yeah. Oh, yeah, hundred percent. And when I started it as it is now. Or even more so now, it's yeah, it's a it's a different sport, but you know, you're pushing 
on carrying 170k sleds yeah. so you know everyone is like well i know you're going to be left by yourself let's help you out and yeah, yeah. yeah it's uh, um uh, it, you're competitors but you're your friends as well yeah yeah i mean going down you know getting taken to austria and, and going down that first track you've, you've said you kind of okay you went from the bit like maybe it's a little bit lower down once you get to the top, once you get to the top, is that adrenaline really kicked in and you get to the bottom, you think, oh my goodness, this is it now. I'm I'm a bobsledder and I just want to co- continue to pursue this. Yeah, it's it is the adrenaline rush. You're at the top, you're trusting your pilot to get you down. Yeah, yeah. And it's the nerves of will they get us down? And you get to the bottom and it's a kind of a sense of euphoria. It's like, yes, we've got down, but in in the meantime, we've had such good fun, like yeah. the speeds the pressures um yeah it's it, it sometimes it's hard to describe how you go down the bobsleigh and how it feels yeah. um but yeah the speed and you can after a few years of being a brakeman you get a sense of how fast you are actually going i think when you first start it's like well we're going really yeah. fast and then kind of gauge but yeah it's uh it's a it's yeah. a bit of I can imagine, I mean, and you've competed in so many different kind of world championships, European championships, world cups. Can you remember the first international competition that you you entered in? Because I can imagine you're going from training and and, and competing, but then all of a sudden being at one of these world championships or or certainly a world cup or or, or a major event, all of a sudden it's like, wow, I've kind of made it. Mm, so my first race was a European Cup, Europa Cup um, in Eagles, and I was just so excited. It was actually, I believe it was either on my birthday or the day after my birthday, so it coincided quite nicely. Okay. And yeah, it, I was just so excited and because I'm such a competitor. The start times at the top as a brakeman is your kind of key engage. Yeah, yeah. And it was just like, right, how fast can we push this sled off the top of the track? And yeah, in the meantime, have good fun. Although we're kind of seriously trying to think about where we're placing. As well. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And, and, you know, how old were you for, at this first tournament? I was 21. And it's uh, one of those ones, isn't it, where you kind of just you're at that age where things are becoming serious but you're still kind of uni age as well and you still probably used to kind of party with friends and you know that real responsibility hasn't come in so it's probably a good age to be able to enjoy something that of that magnitude absolutely so i was finishing my uh last year at university while i was out competing as well so oh. i didn't quite get to manage the whole um season just because of university commitments yeah, of course um but yeah it was I think coming back more than being there, I think coming back was more of a sense of, oh, actually, everyone's praise, everyone's amazement, especially my university yeah. friend, you know, giving me the, oh, that's so cool. You're going out there doing that. And I'm like, oh, actually, I have kind of, uh, that was I mean, me. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, you know, I, I've been very fortunate, you know, I've, I've I've met people who have done lots of different sports and at lots of high levels, even talking talking on the podcast to people. But it's not; it's just not a traditional sport, certainly here in the UK. It's just not. So if someone had come to me and went, oh, yeah, competing in bobsleigh, regardless of kind of even what level that was at, I'm still thinking, wow, 
that what an amazing what an amazing thing to do what a what a story what an opportunity so i can totally understand where your friends and your uni mates were coming from to be able to go like wow you've just represented great britain at a european competition that's it's you know and especially being a gb member what was it like then to when you realize you're now a member of team gb and you're wearing the kit because it's quite it's not quite not it's an it's probably the biggest honor you can have in sport is to wear your nation's colors absolutely um very excited and you know looking at results with your the team gb flag yeah. next to your name yeah it's like oh yes i've made the team but like you say it's an opportunity in my eyes it was like right this is the next step potentially yeah. towards the olympics so um i think when i'm older i will kind of look back and go yeah you did so well there to make the great britain team it's yeah, yeah. It, it is amazing, isn't it? Yes. Like the stepping stone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you know, you're talking about that where now representing GB, working at all these these tournaments and whatnot. When when was it you became a professional athlete? Because and even if it wasn't fully professional, because I think it's one of the things I like to highlight is the the sacrifices and the struggles that athletes go through. And yes, they may be competing on professional at a professional level, but that doesn't mean they're necessarily a full-time professional athlete because unfortunately, due to the funding, due to the cost of things, that's just not achievable for everybody. Oh, 100%. So when I first started bobsleigh, it was not a funded sport. Um, we had to raise money myself to then go out and compete. Um, and like I said before, I was studying my last year at university. So um, time was split between university and bobsleigh and training um, and working um, to fund some sort of student uh, yeah. food. <laughs> Pot noodle. And, yes. And it wasn't until a couple of years later where uh, UK Sport then developed a uh, fun day programme for us. So I was suppose two years down the line, so in my third year of bobsleigh, I would probably call myself then a professional athlete where I was lucky enough to not have to work as much and focus a lot more on my training. Um, and I did that for four years until our funding, unfortunately, got cut. Um, right. Yeah, so for four years, I was a full-time athlete um, working bits and bobs here and there kind of developing my own business as a physiotherapist yeah. and uh just in in humans i decided to specialize in riders because i know uh riding not inside out but yeah, it's yeah. it's something i've done for ages and i knew so for four years i was lucky enough to be a full-time athlete and at that time um i suppose are quite naive to uh, how things are without funding so unfortunately we got lost our funding and at that time I decided to take a break from um, being an athlete um, just because it was a little bit of a rabbit in the headlights how do I fund a season um, at that time it was unfortunately a little bit toxic in that environment so I thought I'll take a step back and uh, refresh my brain um, yeah, yeah. so to speak so, yeah, it took a little bit of time out. What I thought was going to be a year ended up being four and a half years. Really? <laughs> I ended up doing my master's degree in veterinary physiotherapy, hence why I can treat 
horses now yeah, or yeah. animals. Um, and yeah, come back. Always wanted to come back into Bob say come back in, but juggling full time work with full time training um, at the moment is is difficult. But yeah. I would probably still call myself a professional athlete because we're competing at international level. One hundred percent. I agree. I see you're a professional athlete. The fact that you rank number two for pilots in GB as well, and you're still competing in international tournaments. Uh, yeah, that's a professional athlete. One hundred percent. It's really. I think it's really nice so that you can kind of highlight some of the some of the struggles that you go through because I do think you know people probably look at when you're watching YouTube World Cups or you're watching the Olympics that everybody's a funded athlete and actually when you look at the Winter Olympics how many people actually pay to be there was crazy because mm. the funding wasn't coming in from national federations or or whatever it was um, and you just happen to choose the two most expensive games two well two most expensive sports at the games. Know. By all accounts, so apparently equine is the most expensive, and bobsleigh is second most expensive out both summer and winter Olympics. And I could have chosen a better sport. That's yeah. Well, no, you know, I think it it just shows how hard you and the rest of your team have to work in order to be able to compete. I know. I think was talking with Sham Wayne, and we were talking like you're talking over two hundred thousand pound to compete over a kind of a calendar year within the bobsleigh tournaments, which is astronomical amounts of money to be able to raise as well whilst having to do a full-time job whilst having to train and almost I was saying does it almost take away some of the focus from being able to just compete because you, you you're almost trying to build a brand and trying to sell yourself to companies and, and show them what you can do so it becomes almost a full-time job in itself oh 100 percent um I suppose I'm quite lucky I've put my passion with my work so yes my work I absolutely love and it takes my mind off of the focus and the seriousness of training and trying to find funding. Um, so I've got that kind of split. I'm not solely focused and solely getting stressed about have I got this sponsorship? Have I got, yeah, of course. Uh, have I done enough training? And it is hard. I mean, sometimes I do have to sacrifice a training here or there to work, to get enough money to then fund myself for the season um but it's those decisions you kind of realistically have to go well yes if I did that training session I might be hundreds quicker I might not yeah. be but then I don't have the funding to go and do it so yeah, it's, it's it's yeah. um yeah yeah it, and it is though it's just really important and that's one of the reasons I, I wanted to start the whole podcast was just to to understand more what drives people to forge do you know try and forge careers and be successful in the chosen hobbies? But to highlight with other people, you know, I'm a dad of three little girls. Um, and people who listen to the pod know that because I say it quite regularly, but <laughs> it is very much about making them aware of there's so much opportunity in the world, but they have to be willing to work really hard for that. It's not going to be given to them. They have to understand that if they want to get places and do things, they'll be supported 100 percent and we'll encourage it, but they're gonna to have to be willing to work very, very hard in order to, mm. to reach the top of something. So I love the fact that we're highlighting all of the kind of struggles that you have to go through, the sacrifices in order to succeed. I mean, talking about those four years, how good were the four years as a funded athlete and being able to compete? Well, tell, tell us about some of the competitions you've competed in and just the kind of the, the thrills and spills of them all. Oh, wow. So, yeah, it was great being a funded athlete. It was... Um, uh, 
almost took it a little bit for granted. We had the opportunities for physio once a week, sports massage. Yeah, we yeah. had um, the gym at our disposal. We had the sprints track at our disposal. It was, yeah, get set our programs um, and go there and complete them, do it. And we had the, you know, if we were injured, we had the support system there um, to help us get through it to then become better athletes out the other side. Um, but from that, I competed at World Championships. I mean, St. Moritz is probably one of my highlights, 2013. That was, uh, we went there, we weren't under any pressure to to compete, but it's eh, St. Moritz. If you forget to go to St. Moritz, go, because it is just the most uh, beautiful place. Beautiful okay. place. Um, everyone's so happy. Yes, everything's a bit expensive there, but it's it's a bit out of this world. Yeah, yeah. You can get the experience there as you would other other places. Um, so I've done more championships, European championships, and um, at the end of the four years, that's where I was lucky enough to then um, start my driving piloting career. So I, I had. Ask support. when was the transition? How did that mm-hmm. come about? Yeah. Yeah. So. As part of um, our funding, they wanted to create a development program where they were starting to then bring more drivers through, more pilots. And I was given the opportunity there to uh, become a pilot and learn to drive, which I absolutely jumped at because it's something that I'd always wanted to do. Yeah, I think, you know, it's very good to be able to do the break, the break person. And it's, it's imperative to the role. It's integral. But then almost, but being able to have a go with the pilot as well and be the one who's in charge of that because, you know, as a brake person or if you're doing the, the four person, Bob said as well, it's kind of almost out of your control and you really are relying on the skill of the pilot and how good they are as well to, to maneuver on the track. So to be able to put yourself in that position, almost have that control, it must be a phenomenal feeling. Mm. How, oh, what is, do you feel the pressure more than when you become a pilot? Because all, all of a sudden now, you know, I've pushed off, I've done my job and I'm breaking when I'm doing it, but it's all on you to kind of d- d- deliver now. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> you have got that pressure, um, but you've only got yourself to blame if yeah, something yeah. does go wrong. Um, and I'm, I think any, any athlete, you internalise your pressure and you go, right, I want to do well, I'm going to do this, yeah, yeah. I'm going to do that. And you always cross it yourself if you don't quite execute it as well as you you wanted to. But um, in a in a weird way, I quite like the control. You're in control that. of your own. <laughs> yeah. No, I get that. I mean, I, I'm one of those people who I genuinely like driving. I'm not. I'm not the. I'm. I'm not the best passenger. I suppose. I, I like. Mm. I like to be in control of of what I'm doing and and understand. Um, how do you deal with it? And how do you comp- how do you compartmentalize that pressure? How do you deal with the if you want to say nerves, if that's what you want to call them, uh, whatever it is that you deal with on the day, apprehension. How do you how do you deal with that? What's your coping mechanism or mindset? Um, yeah, mindset's quite a good one. Um, this year, I've been lucky enough to work with a sports psychologist actually, which has helped me out massively. Um, but it's I think when I was a brakeman, it was how to deal with the nervous energy that doesn't get out of your control and how to be, it's a big, heavy sled, how to push it, not aggressively, but powerfully in control as fast as possible. And 
it's music. Music got me in the zone a little bit there. Okay. Um, it takes away the nerves because you're singing along. It just it dampens down those little little thoughts that might yeah. go, oh, they're or, you know. <laughs> Not yet. I've, I've got a place in this position to do, to do yeah, well yeah. or to progress level. Um, music is always a good one. But it, it, with the sports psychology, you come up with a bit of a race script, we call it. Um, okay. It, it's, it's dealing with those little thoughts in your head and how to dampen them down but also bring the best out of you with your confidence um absolutely and but yeah music and we call it self-talk so talking to myself yeah yeah it's really interesting i mean do you have any kind of superstitions is there any kind of process that you have to go through before because i know from my competing days that although i'm I'm not massively superstitious. We used NLP. So we like we used to have a coach who would come in and do neuro-linguistical programming. And we used to speak to other people and, and it would really benefit some of, some of the people like mm. the teammates and it would benefit some of the younger people. I had my own little ways of dealing with it, but I could massively appreciate it when, when they came in and I'd take little nuggets of information from it all. But what was there a process that you had or is there anything where you, even now, you know, I used to have to put my my boxing gloves on and my kick, pa- kick pads in a certain order and I had to do it a certain way and it was it was my thing. Yeah, so my helmet, I always have to place my helmet in the changing room on the high hook with the, right. with the visor open. That's, okay. yeah, I don't know why, but that has to happen. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> And actually, from my heptathlon days, um, I have to wear odd socks. Okay. <laughs> it started, it, it's, for some reason, it must have been one random competition. I could not find the other sock. I thought, oh, sod it. I'll just wear the other one that's completely different colour. And I prob- I did a PB that day. <laughs> and, uh, it just kind of stuck from there. I was like, oh, maybe odd socks are the way forward. Yeah, yeah. And it just, and it is crazy, isn't it? The little things that you do for kind of no apparent reason, just because you might have one successful tournament or one successful event where you think, I'll do that every time now. That's it. Yeah, that's it. So odd socks. Um, uh, yeah, odd socks is the one, helmets the one. Um, and when I'm at the top of the track, I always have to stare down the track. That okay. is my, I have to stare down the track. For me, it's it's that talking to yourself, get in the zone. Yeah. And I think if I didn't do that, that little process just wouldn't get me into where I need to be. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. I, I agree. We were really fortunate in a, in a previous job that I had. We um, we met a guy called Jamie Edwards and he had a, a company called Brain Training and he used to go through stuff. And he, he said something that was really kind of stuck with me. He asked the question, how do you know what nervous is? And mm. and I I asked the question to people now because it's one of those things, you know, imitation is the greatest form of flattery. So I kind, I kind of pinched it from a little bit. I love the question. And every time I ask somebody the question, how do you know what nervous is? They'll, they'll describe the feeling of nervousness or, or what it feels to them, but they're not going to tell me how they know what it is. And he turned around and he just said, actually, when you were a kid, your parents or a teacher told you what nervousness is. So if you didn't know as a kid, if you, so my children now, because they've got friends, they kind of know what nervous means a little bit, but we, mm-hmm. we always try to tell them that if they said, I've got butterflies before they went to a dance competition, oh, that means you're excited. That means you're ready to give a really good performance and try to take away that whole mindset of, if they don't, yeah. don't associate that feeling with the word nervous, 
they'll never apply it to when they're doing something that really means something to them. And I just think this, I just think the brain and the mindset's an amazing thing. And, it, and sometimes when we compete, that's that's actually our biggest barrier. Mm. And it's, so we're listening to the fact that you've got a sports psychologist now and how you deal with things. I, I genuinely am fascinated. Yeah, I mean, I've only yeah recently just started working on it and it's, you almost kick yourself, why didn't I start sooner? Yeah. Um, but I have now. So, um, but yeah, I'm like you, it's just interesting every time. It's like, what more can I learn? What more can I do yeah, to yeah. help myself? Even if it's just that little 1% or half percent, it's still that little extra little bit over your performance that yeah. you didn't have before. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. 100%. So, you know, we'll, we'll kind of, we'll move on because you, you've, took, do you not, not regret because I don't think we should have regrets, but do you almost look back now and wish you never took a four year break when you look at how, how successful you've been and, and where you are now in the rankings? Do you think having that four years was, detrimental or do you think it was actually kind of help you regain your love for the sport and passion again to drive you to where you are now mm, I yeah I don't regret it I almost wished I'd gone back sooner because yeah. of knowing how far I've got now however if I hadn't had that four-year break I wouldn't have got my master's degree and I wouldn't yeah. have that career to fall back on when I do stop uh become you know, I do stop my uh bobstay career um so in, in terms I don't regret it it's given me that extra drive um that extra passion it's really reset my brain I'm in a totally different space when I left yeah, yeah. um so you know from that I'm I'm really grateful and actually quite I'm actually quite proud of myself for stepping back and actually realizing I wasn't happy and, you know, changing it. Whereas I think it's so easy to like try and stick at it, stick at it, stick at yeah, it. I yeah. can just reach it. I can just reach. I can go reach it. But actually your mental mindset yeah, is, yeah. Uh, it takes a toll on, on you completely. And if you're not right upstairs, how do you expect to perform at your best? What was it that made you come back then? Because, you know, I, I kind of, I, I, for some reason I might you've really got me thinking about my own kind of journey and so I am pitching in so apologies because I know it's about you but I I remember competing at European and World Championships 2002-2003 and then for whatever reason it was I just didn't compete I don't know I was just kind of a sport I loved was starting to become more of a I suppose more of a chore if that makes sense I wasn't enjoying it as much and I didn't compete again until 2008 and what drove me back was somebody turned around to me and said you, you're a waste of talent and it really really got to me that someone was calling me a waste of talent and I thought wow I don't want to be a waste of talent I actually want to not that I didn't want to go and prove him wrong I just didn't want to be a waste of talent I wanted to go and compete again and and that was one of the real driving forces that pushed me back into competition what was yours it was the little girl in me that was like you've got the opportunity there to potentially get to Olympics and it's been a little girl's dream ever since I was can remember watching the Olympics going I want to be one of those athletes then it's the drive to get to the Olympics yeah, yeah. that keeps me going and I just fell in love with the sport so it was it, it was the love was always there it was just resetting myself to yeah, then yeah. go out yeah I love that I mean You've obviously chasing chasing the Olympic dream. 
and you're so close to it by you know from, from just from what you're saying the fact that you're now the number two ranked pilot and what is you know the next one's you know the four years we if is that very much the aim now over the next four years is to push to be that number one gb pilot to to, to go for the games 100 percent, 100 percent. yeah yeah milan 2026 that is the big game the big goal um four years it'll go by so quickly yeah you know. massively I think four years that's ages away but you know we're already in off-season training yeah, for yeah. next season we're already thinking about season one out of the four and you know the season goes so by quickly because you week after week you're going to one track then the next one and the next one then you're home for Christmas yeah yeah for three or four days and then you're back out again it's it's yeah it'll go by so quickly but that is the big aim 2026 and, you know and I'm, I'm you don't have to answer the question at all but I'm going to ask it how close do you think you are to being GB's number one pilot I think I'm a little way off I mean our GB1 pilot she's phenomenal uh great driver um however the drive to become number one is very high yeah yeah which is amazing <laughs> and, uh, thank yeah. you for being so honest about that as well because you you know some people may not answer that some people may kind of pitch themselves a bit higher but the fact you know thank you for the honesty around that and it, yeah it's a great and are you good friends with the number one pilot at the moment or is there a bit of rivalry there because i've spoken to some people who you know they've got a really good camaraderie with the team and they know they're always kind of edging each other and when it comes to the games although the friends they know that one of them is going to go away and compete and they're okay with that it's very supportive and you've talked about this community so i'm just wondering what your relationship's like with the rest of team gb i as a brakeman pushed our number one driver we were at world junior champs and came bronze together so we've been good friends ever since um so I'd like to think that we have the the friend supportiveness. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, without that um, drive and push in your nation, how do you expect to push yourselves even further to then be really competitive against yeah, yeah. the world? Yeah. So, yeah. No, it's, uh, <laughs> it's, no, it's uh, amazing. It's amazing. What would your one piece of advice be then to a young person or anyone in general, really, who is looking to kind of follow in your shoes and, and maybe become a, a Bob's a Bob Sledder? Oh, good question. Like I mean, like I said near the beginning, it's plan A never goes ahead, and don't get upset that if one route or one uh, plan doesn't go ahead don't get upset by it look back what other route can you take is there another diversion around that can get you to that plan or to get you to that end goal um, there's been plenty of ups and downs in, in my career I mean d- during the kind of plateau um, I was suffering from quite bad back pain right. and um, I ended up with I found out later through a scan that I had five disc bulges in my oh. lower back. Um, so, you know, plan A to get to the Olympics as a heptathlete, it just kind of didn't go ahead. There was always little hurdles, little obstacles, but actually the, the door opened for bobsleigh or rugby or, you know, all the yeah, other yeah. little sports. But bobsleigh was the big one that opened and I took it. And so, yeah, plan, yeah if I, plan A doesn't go ahead, it, come back reset is there another route is there another diversion you can go around is there another or 
just a little if I do this this and this it'll still bring me to the same goal so it's it's uh, don't get upset if your plan A doesn't go ahead there's always different routes always different options to get you to that end goal love it I love it Nikki, sorry about the technical difficulties, but thank you so much for coming on Hobby of a Lifestyle today. It's been fantastic Pleasure. talking to you and, and listening to your journey. Pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of Hobby of a Lifestyle. Stay safe, stay well, and we'll see you next time.